You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1 this morning. Galatians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me tell you about the 25th just a little bit. Um, Most of the uh, site preparation is done over on Colin McKinney Parkway. Uh, as far as uh, the initial dirt work and those kind of things, but it is still really hard to access our property. Uh, If you've been down that way, you know the road is absolutely terrible. Uh, It's scheduled for, um, uh, you know, a whole tear out, new construction, and everything will be coming in that way. Uh, So it's hard to get cars down there and turned around and back out and all that kind of stuff. So what we're planning to do is most of what we'll do that day will be a part of both morning worship services, Um, But then we're going to head over there as soon as church is over. We'll hopefully get started within 30 minutes of the dismissal of of church on that day. And we're going to ask everyone to park in the uh, college parking lot. Uh, And if you are able uh, to walk over to the property, it's not that far. Hopefully the weather will be cooperative and it'll be nice enough for us to to do that. And we're also planning to uh, take the bus uh, over there and run a little shuttle uh, back and forth there uh, as best we can. And so... Uh, we'll have to just kind of make do, okay? Uh, but we're not going to have a big, long, drawn-out uh, ceremony over there necessarily. Uh, there will be a time of prayer, of course. There will be a photo op with the hard hats and the shovels and all the stuff that you normally think of with a groundbreaking. Uh, but uh, look forward to that. And so, again, we'll give you some more uh, instructions over the next couple of weeks as we get closer. Also, uh, we know that today uh, did not work for some of our baptism candidates. We do have four that will be baptized uh, later in the service this morning. Uh, but we have another baptism Sunday scheduled on October the 9th. And so if uh, you were one of those who's kind of been waiting for baptism, uh, or if you uh, have questions about that, uh, there is a link on our website. If you go to the website and look under About Us, uh, there is a section there on baptism. And we have some documents there uh, on our beliefs and our teachings on baptism and so forth, and so really important to us. And uh, this last time we did a class and had a number of people in that class. Uh, I typically have one-on-one conversations, uh, uh, especially with those who are younger. Uh, It's very important to us that there's a clear understanding on what baptism is about and what it means and what it doesn't mean and all of those things. And so just keep that in mind, if you would, as well. Well, Galatians chapter 1. Here we are. We're in the book of Galatians. On Sunday mornings, a letter written from the Apostle Paul to uh, the churches in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, we started the series last week with a brief introduction to the letter. Uh, Galatians written to clarify and defend uh, the truth of the gospel, as Paul puts it in chapter 2, verses 5 and 16. And, he, and he's presenting this uh, defense, this clarification, in the face of a false gospel, uh, a pseudo-gospel. I remember last week in verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul refers to the gospel, a word that is, that is used uh, really throughout this letter. It's at the very center of the letter. And a key task in interpreting, properly interpreting, uh, interpreting uh, Galatians is discerning what that gospel, the message of the good news, what it really is, what does it mean. Uh, and with words that echo... Uh, Israel's betrayal of uh, God in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 32 there, Paul tells these Galatian Christians that they are quickly deserting God. Uh, In Exodus, shortly after God brought Israel out of Egypt, the Israelites quickly turned from uh, the God who saved them, delivered them, uh, and began to worship a human-made idol. Uh, And here, the Galatian Christians are quickly deserting the God who called them. 
and, and turning instead to a human-made gospel. And so Paul uses some pretty strong language here. We said that this is his most passionate writing of all the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. This is the most passionate uh, and so he uses this strong language in condemning uh, these teachers. Uh, they were called Judaizers uh, of this different gospel, essentially pronouncing their damnation, uh, declaring them anathema. Uh, and so in today's text, we're going to look at the last part of chapter 1 today, verses 11 through 24. Paul gives us what is really his personal testimony uh, of his life uh, during the years uh, that preceded uh, the writing of this letter. Uh, and as is always the case when Paul, uh, uh, when he shares uh, something about himself uh, in terms of a personal testimony or whatever, it is for a pastoral purpose. And so he appeals to uh, his personal story. You know, we love stories, don't we? Uh, I know I do. I think I, one of the, uh, I, I'm, I've been a guy who you know, grew up watching ESPN, of course, and watching it because they broadcast a lot of sports. But one of the things that I like that they've done uh, over the last several years is a lot of these human interest stories, you know, uh, 30 for 30 or, you know, whatever. They, they do these stories and they tell you the backstory about some of these athletes that you see and, and, and just, it's just interesting. And so that's really kind of what the Apostle Paul does here. He says, hey, not only is this, is this theory to me, uh, not only is this, uh, this teaching important, but I, I'm going to tell you how it's applied to my life. I want to tell you my story. And so the language of, uh, of Galatians here, particularly in chapter 1, could not be more contrasting. Uh, we often talk about the presentation of the gospel, like going into a jewelry store. And if you want to look at a ring or a watch or a necklace or something, what they'll do a lot of times is they will put it out on a piece of black velvet or whatever, right? Because of the contrast that is created there. It gives you a better appreciation for the beauty of, of the diamond that you're looking at or the piece of jewelry or whatever. So one, one of the things that helps us see the beauty of the gospel is to see the, the contrast of a life without Christ. And that's really what Paul does. He kind of makes that appeal here. And so the, those who preach, proclaim an adulterated gospel, we'd call it, are under the curse of God. No human being has the option of adjusting the biblical message of redemption, of salvation, for the purposes of making it easier to hear or to accept. The only true good news is the message that has come to us through God's word from Jesus himself. And so this standard points us to a precious truth. It's a precious truth. And the reason that the gospel cannot in any way be altered is that it comes from God himself. That's the good news of the gospel. And so by this gospel of the one who gave himself for our sins, God actively calls us into the resurrection life of his son and out of the hopelessness, as Paul says here, of this present age. And so the divine gospel accomplishes what no human message could ever achieve. And so to alter it in any way is really the epitome of foolishness. So I want us to look together at verses 11 through 24. I hope that you will follow along as I read this morning. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. 
And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. What a testimony, huh? And they glorified God because of me. So the first thing I want us to notice today is this claim of divine revelation. A claim of divine revelation. Now Paul is absolutely clear here that his message was God's revelation, not man's imagination. Uh, the, the phrase that is actually translated here in the ESV for I would have you know, brothers, uh, it, it really means to declare a thing true or accurate or certain. Uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, depending on the importance of, uh, of a document or something, it has to be authenticated. Uh, that's why you have notaries today, notary, you know, pu public notaries and things, because uh, the, in a sense, they are saying, yes, I actually witnessed this person sign this document, so this signature is authenticated with their, with their mark or whatever. Um, there's a lot of things like that. I've never been much of a, a card collector or anything. I, I guess I had you know, quite a few back in the day, and uh, like everybody, and you know, I'm thinking, man, if I'd have kept those, you know, they're probably worth a, a million dollars nowadays, but, you know, these people that, that have, like, you know, a really rare card, a Mickey Mantle, you know, whatever, uh, if they're going to actually sell that card and get any kind of value out of it, it at some point, it's going to have to be authenticated. You got to make sure that this is really, it's in good condition, and, and those kind of things, so what Paul is saying here is, I, I want to authenticate for you the gospel. He's saying, this is certifiably true is essentially what he is saying. And so the Judaizers, remember from last week, they diluted or added to, uh, to Scripture itself. They emphasized man-made traditions over the truth of, uh, of the gospel, the truth of Scripture. Now again, you may be looking at this going, man, I just, this really doesn't apply to me. I've never really given much thought to you know, obeying the ceremonial law of the Old Testament or the teachings of the Torah in the same way that the, the Judaizers would be talking about here. I just can't. But you got to realize... A pseudo-gospel, a new gospel, a false gospel uh, was not something that was just a problem in Paul's day. <laughs> it's still a problem today. Uh, you have conversations with people, for example, and you ask them about their spiritual journey, their relationship with the Lord, and, and someone may say, in a well-meaning way, well, I was born a Christian. Like, that, that tells you immediately they don't fully understand the essence of the gospel. Okay? Because it's not about your family of origin or, or your lineage in that sense. Okay? It's only as a person has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So to say you were born, now you might say, well, I was born into a Christian family, a family that, uh, that taught me Christian values and those kind of things. I understand that. But there's some people who mistakenly believe that they've just always been a Christian from birth. Well, that's not the case. 
You'll talk to other people, and they'll immediately start telling you, giving you their religious resume, much like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul would have been considered in that day a religious rock star. I mean, and he's going he's to tell us about it here in just a few moments. And people today can do something similar. I, you can talk to people and go, I've, I've been in Sunday school since I was in the nursery. And, and in fact, I'll tell you, you know, in, in so many years, I've only missed four times. And I was baptized at my church, and then I, I later became a leader in this way and that way, and then I became a deacon. And then, I mean, you can give all kinds of good things. <laughs> Those are good things. But if when you're asking someone about their relationship with God, and particularly their salvation, if they immediately begin to talk to you about things that they have done, they may not have a clear understanding of the gospel. And that's really the heart of what Paul is arguing here. He is saying, hey, it's not about uh, you uh, saying, yes, it's Jesus plus Judaism. Okay, And these Judaizers are coming in and telling these Gentile believers, this is what you got to do. We're good with Jesus being a part of your portfolio, but you've also got to get circumcised. You've also got to do that. That was the real issue uh, in this day. And so the gospel of grace, it's, it's like water. Pe- people didn't invent it, and people cannot live without it. Uh, we are spiritually thirsty creatures in need of the living water of the gospel. And as believers, we need to keep drinking from this well of grace. What we need is not just good advice or moral improvement, but the good news from God about life in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, this is the source. This is the source. Um, most of us, I, I find it just its mystifying to me. Mm that bottled water has become a multi-billion dollar industry. Who, who would have ever thought, right, that we would like be buying bottled water? And it's not cheap in a lot of places, especially, I mean, they've got these high-end brands now, like I saw, like Smart Water. I tried a bottle of that, and it didn't make me any smarter. I, I'm like, what makes this like worth $4.78 at the convenience store? I just don't... I don't understand it. And so, you know, what, what makes it different or better? Or what's, what would they put in this? Or what are they taking? I, I, I don't understand. And so one day I was kind of intrigued, and I had a bottle of water in my hand, and I, I started looking at it, and it said source. Now, this is Ozarka water. It says proudly Texan, established in 1905. And it'll tell you on the back here that their source is three springs all here in the state of Texas. This is Texas water, y'all. <laughs> Yeehaw, right? Okay. Good stuff, right? Huh? That's good. But this particular bottle that I looked at one day, you know what it said? It said the source was the Fort Worth Municipal Water Supply. I'm like, I have been duped. <laughs> I have been fooled. This is water that my friends in Fort Worth can get out of their tap. And I just paid $2.79 for a bottle of this stuff down here. It's crazy. What's the source? That's what we want to know, right? What's the source of this water? Where does this come from? You know, we mistakenly think many times, oh, it must come from some beautiful spring up in the mountains of Arkansas or something. That's not always the case. Sometimes it's purified through reverse osmosis or, or something like that. So what Paul is doing here is he's making it clear to these, these Galatians. He's saying, hey, you've got to understand the source of the gospel. This is God's gospel. <laughs> That's why we say the Bible is about people who have a problem with God. That problem is sin, Right? But that's not the end of the story because God remedied that problem through sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place. 
That's the source. Now in Acts chapter 9, we read of Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what we see there is that Jesus came directly to Paul. Through special revelation to Paul on the Damascus road, God made himself known to him. Now sometimes we're scared by the word revelation. Okay, maybe you've encountered someone who came to you and said, hey, I got some special revelation about you, or I got some special revelation, or, or when it comes time to study the book of Revelation, a lot of people are like, ooh, I don't know about that. That's kind of like shrouded in mystery, and there's a lot of creepy stuff in there that I don't understand. Really, the word revelation in Scripture means an unveiling. You ever pay attention to the heading of the book of Revelation in your Bible? In most Bibles, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we many times approach the book of Revelation as if it's some sort of code that we've got to crack or something like that. It's just, it's just a revealing. That's what Paul's talking about here is God revealed himself to me. And he did it in a pretty dramatic way. And, and most of us, we don't have a, a Paul-like a testimony. Okay? But, but ours is, is a testimony of God's grace just the same. Uh, I was talking in the early service about this. I, I grew up in a time in a tribe of churches where it was not uncommon to have special guests come in and share their testimony in our church. And, and the reason these people were invited in is because they had amazing stories, amazing testimonies. I can remember a guy's testimony, the, the poster, I can still see it on the wall of my church in Garland, Texas. It said, from the gridiron to the gospel. And he was this well-known football player back in the day and everything, and he had been uh, saved by God's grace, and he'd been called to the ministry. I remember another one. From the, from the prison to the pulpit, you know, this guy had just this amazing story of a life of crime and all these things. He lived just, you know, uh, all these issues and problems and things, and came to faith in Christ, and now he's proclaiming like, great testimonies. And I remember sitting there as an 8-year-old kid thinking to myself, man, my testimony's kind of boring. Like, I was saved from the, you know, the depths of rebellion against my parents. I was struggling with putting my dirty clothes in the dirty clothes hamper. And I talked back to my mom. And that, you know, I was just like, I, I just thought, here's the thing. And we're going we're gonna to dive into Paul's testimony here for a moment. But you've got to understand this. I was just as lost and just as much in need of God's grace as Paul was when he was known as Saul. And he was persecuting churches. And so next, let's look at the testimony of Paul's transformation. Paul's conversion is a reminder to all of us about the profound difference that Jesus Christ can make in a person's life. So I want you to look at it. It, it, This is the way that we even teach. Whenever we do missions trips, a lot of times we teach individuals how to share the gospel, how to share their testimony uh, many times. And we kind of break it down into, into three categories. This is my life before Christ. This is what it looked like. This is how I came to faith in Christ. This is what my life looks like since that time. And so that's really what the Apostle Paul does here. That's the model that he more or less follows. So I want us to look at his pre-conversion. And that would be characterized as a man in need of grace. That may be you here today. You may be sitting here today going, I've kind of been in and around church. I was brought up in church and just never really, never really, you know, connected or just haven't really, I'm, I, maybe I would call myself a seeker or I'm, I'm confused. I'm, you know, I've, I've been trying to do better or, you know, there, there's just a lot of things. Everybody's in different places in their spiritual journey. And so this, this may kind of be you, but I want you to notice the couple of things that Paul admits here in this pre-conversion state. He was religious. He was religious. 
In fact, he very clearly says, I was advancing in Judaism. I was advancing in Judaism. I was zealous, he says, for the traditions of my fathers. What's he saying there? Well, traditions would carry three basic ideas. The oral teachings of the law, interpretations of the the Torah, ceremonial regulations. And because of his zeal for Judaism, understand this, grace would have been been really a, a foreign concept to Paul. Because he's thinking, like a lot of people who are given to a form of legalism, I've got to find my way to God. I've got to earn my way to God. I've got to get myself in a position where I am accepted by God. I've got to find a way to get to God. And so I'll do this with this religious resume. Again, Paul looks like, to a lot of people, looks like a a religious rock star. I mean, advancing in Judaism, even beyond those his, his own age. And I mean, people have been like, he is the next up and coming star in Judaism. He had a religious resume, if anybody did. Not only that, but he was intolerant of Christian belief. He says this I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. That is strong language. That's strong language. And if you go back and you study his life and, and, and you look at the early church in the book of Acts, you see that he was very much a part of, of, I mean, he was literally a terrorist to the early church. People feared because he was there. I mean, he was, of course, at that time he was known as Saul. But the book of Acts speaks clearly to Paul's pre-conversion life. He wasn't just ambivalent to Christianity. No, he was there. I mean, he was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned. He was, he was there. He was a part of all of that. That's what his life looked like before his encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Pre-conversion in need of grace. And again, your story, my story may not be nearly as dramatic as that of the Apostle Paul. Okay? But if you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, you are as much in need of God's grace as he was. Pre-conversion in need of grace. Let's look at his conversion. And in that, we see God's work of grace. You see, the truth is this. We all need to work the truths of verses 15 and 16 here into our hearts. Think about the work of God in the conversion and the commission of of Paul. You see, conversion involves God's intervention. In fact, I would say of the text that we're looking at today, one of the most important words... And the several verses that we're looking at together here is the first word of verse number 15. It's a conjunction. It's the little word, but. You know how powerful that word is in Scripture? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. (laughs) I once was enslaved in sin, but now I'm free. Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul has just shared here what his life looked like pre-conversion. And then he says in verse 15, but, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see how that little word flips the script entirely? And so like Paul, I can say as an eight-year-old boy in November of 1974, sitting in a service, a Thanksgiving service, in Garland, Texas at the First Free Will Baptist Church, I was sitting there going, you know what? 
I, I don't know with certainty what some of these people who are sharing their testimony know. I knew about Jesus. I've been taught about Jesus in my Sunday school class. But, but I, I honestly could not say that I had ever asked him to forgive me of my sin and to be my Savior and my Lord. I needed God's grace. That's what Paul's saying. But he who called me, conversion involves God's intervention. God's intervention. Conversion involves God's eternal planning. God, who from my birth set me apart. So when you consider Paul's story, it's no wonder that he would later write to Timothy, his young protege in the faith in 1 Timothy 1, of his extraordinary patience with me. <laughs> wow. His patience toward him. Conversion involves God's eternal planning. You ever, you ever encountered someone and maybe you, you knew them prior to their conversion? And you could see in, in really in a dramatic way the difference that the good news of the gospel had made in their life. There was a guy in our church in South Texas. His name was Gene Wise. Gene had uh, worked in the oil field in South Texas for, for years as a consultant and um, was just known to be kind of a hard man. Uh, he and his brother in their younger years, I mean, would just paint the town red, as they would say. Um, he, was, he was kind of a harsh man, um, gruff, rough around the edges in every way. Um, and I met Gene for the first time while he was lying on a uh, hospital bed in the emergency room of a local hospital having had a heart attack. And probably for one of the first times in his life, he'd come face to face with his mortality. And he was scared. And so his brother, who had come to faith in Christ, asked me if I would go visit him while he was there in the hospital. I went in and I, I got to pray with Gene. And it was not too long after that that Gene committed his life to Jesus Christ. And it was, it was, it was like one of those, like a Paul story. I mean, it, he, it was just so different. And I can remember people coming to me going, man, I knew Gene before he came to Jesus, before he met Gene. And oh, my goodness, he is so different. He's so different. Like night and day different. Like, he doesn't use the same words anymore. He doesn't, he's just, he's just nice. And, and even Gene himself came to me one time. He said, Pastor, I just don't understand this. He goes, before, I hardly would ever cry. He just always thought of himself as, you know, this, this tough kind of guy. I never cry. He goes, now I can't hardly stop crying. I said, well, maybe it's the Holy Spirit just like washing your soul, man. Like, you know, he's just like doing a work in you. That's, that's called sanctification, where we're becoming more like Jesus every day, right? Who initiated all that? God did. God did. And while we, we may be surprised at the work that God has done or is doing in certain people's lives, God's never surprised like that. It's not like God's up in heaven going, why, did you see who got saved last week down in Van Alstine? Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> no. no. It, it was all initiated by God himself. And then I want you to notice that conversion involves God's gracious calling. It says, God called me by his grace. Now, we meet this subject in every chapter of the book of Galatians in some way or another. Understand this. Paul was not searching for God. He was actually an enemy of God. The Bible is filled with stories of people who received God's grace and blessing not because of their goodness or because they finally got themselves in a position where they were good enough for God, 
but because of his grace. And upon our conversion, we are made new in Christ Jesus. We see with new eyes. We hear with new ears. We feel with new affections. Rejoice that Christ has been made known to you this morning. I hope that's your testimony as well. It's all of God. You know, how ridiculous would it be for us to tell our kids, hey, you need to get cleaned up so you can take a bath. But that's the kind of theology that some people have adopted today. I've got to get myself cleaned up enough so that I can find... I was talking to a guy not long ago who said this. He goes, ah, you know, I, there are just some things in my life I've got to get squared away. I've got to get kind of cleaned up before I can come to church, or like before I can come to God. I'm like, well, that's actually not how God works. <laughs> he comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Then I want us to notice his post-conversion. And that's marked by faithfulness to Jesus. Notice, as we look at verses 15 and 16 again through the end of the chapter, we see that God's man was sanctified. That's a word that just means set apart. He's set apart. According to grace, Saul was converted. And according to God's plan, Paul would reveal and preach Jesus Christ. God had big plans for this guy, is what we would say. And so he begins to mold and to shape him and to prepare him for the ministry that that he had for him. And I hope you can see God working in the same way in your life. I hope that you can say, man, I am not what I once was by the grace of God. I'm not everything God wants me to be. I'm a work in progress. It's like the old kid's song, you know, he's still working on me. I am a promise. I'm a possibility. It's all that sanctification that God working. That's why we need to continue to daily, regularly proclaim the gospel to ourselves. You know, health experts will tell you the importance of drinking plenty of water, right? Staying hydrated. But they won't tell you, hey, you know what you need to do? One day next week, you need to drink a gallon of water and you'll be good to go. No, they'll tell you, you've got to keep doing that consistently. Now, I'm not suggesting that you keep getting saved over and over and over again. But it's just like we said a couple weeks ago, we need the gospel every day of our lives. Every day to relate to our neighbors and our family and our spouses and our kids and our coworkers. I need to, that's where our identity is found, is in Jesus Christ. Keep drinking from that well of grace. Keep drinking from that well of grace. That's the source. Then I want you to notice God's man was strengthened as God's preparing him. And he gives us here this chronology of his preparation for ministry. He says in verse 16, I didn't consult with flesh and blood. He spent time with Ananias in Damascus. He went to Arabia to abide with God. Uh, Paul returned to Damascus. He went to Jerusalem and saw Peter. He traveled to Syria and Cilicia. So he's he's being strengthened. He's He's being trained up, we might say, for the ministry that God had prepared for him. And you'll notice in verses 23 and 24 that he was submitted. Sanctified, strengthened, and submitted. Submitted to a proclamation of the gospel. That's why in verse 23 it says, They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute, he used to persecute us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So he went from being a terrorist, essentially, to being a proclaimer of the very message that he was trying to destroy. That's his story. And ultimately, for God's glory, he says, and they glorified God because of me. So the biblical gospel of salvation by grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's more than an important message. 
It is actually God's way of powerfully drawing sinful humanity to life and salvation. God actively calls hearers to himself through the human proclamation of the biblical gospel. He invites them to trust in Jesus and receive the abundance of divine blessings and life that are found in him. And by the agency of the Holy Spirit, this divine gospel calling has the power to bring life to the spiritually dead and awaken faith in the hardest of hearts. Again, that may be you this morning. Maybe you got some real questions about this thing we call the gospel. Because in our humanness, in our pride... We want to feel like we've kind of had a part in the whole thing. Like, yeah, I get it. I mean, like, it's Jesus, but it's got to be Jesus plus my best efforts, right? It's got to be Jesus plus my religious activity, right? It's got to be Jesus plus me being a better person, right? Remember what we said last week? If we're given to that kind of gospel, that's a false gospel, then when we're doing pretty good, we become prideful. When we're not doing so good, we become fearful. And we're always comparing ourselves with other people. Well, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than her. And so we feel like God's got some kind of a ranking system, and there's going to be this cutoff line. You ever, you ever watch the PGA? Well, in golf, there's, there's like the cut. Everybody plays the first two days, and then they're all trying to make the cut. You know, if you've got a good enough score, this is the line where the cut is. And everybody else below that line, they don't get to play on the weekend. They don't get to play Saturday and Sunday. I think that's how some people view the gospel. Well, as long as I'm good enough to make the cut. You, you can't be good enough to make the cut. That's the essence of the gospel. I can't be good enough to make the cut. The only way that you can be found acceptable in God's eyes is through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's finally why I want to mention something. It's very important in understanding the book of Galatians here. One of the orthodox or traditional Christian teachings most under attack today is the doctrine that salvation is promised only to those who have heard and believed the biblical gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's a teaching referred to as exclusivism. Exclusivism. We believe in the exclusivity of the gospel. Okay, so like next month, I'm not going to preach a different message that would say, yeah, I know what I said a couple of months ago, but check this out. We've discovered since it's 2022, there's some other ways for you to be found in favor with God. No. This is it. This is it. And so a lot of people today would say, why would God reject devout, well-meaning followers of other faiths, men and women who often display greater piety than Christians? They're more devoted to, to their, their beliefs. Well, in our text today, we see Paul unapologetically on the side of exclusivism. And the reason has nothing to do with the religious quality of the worshiper. It's not about you or me becoming good enough in our own efforts. It's not. Humanity's sinfulness and slavery to sin is so great that only a message that comes from God can offer the real hope of rescue. Anything of human origin is impotent, and it offers false hope. It offers false hope. It's why Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
except through me. That's the exclusivity of the gospel. And so with that, if we could bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment this morning as we enter into a time of reflection, a time of decision. I'm going to ask those who uh, are uh, being baptized today, if you'd go ahead and make preparation for that, uh, if you haven't already. Together, we're about to sing a song that I know many of you are familiar with. Uh, Maybe you've sang it many, many times over. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different today, though. Well, I know that you may be able to kind of mindlessly sing the words to this song while you're thinking about something else. I'm going to ask that you refuse to do that today. And I'm going to ask that you only sing these words if you mean them. And if you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you can't point to a time, you don't have to know the exact date or the exact time, but if you can't point to a time in your life when you turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to take that step of faith today. I would love to meet with you. One of our other pastors would love to meet you. One of our other church leaders would love to meet with you and share with you from the word of God how you can know today that your sins are forgiven and that heaven will someday be your home. Not because of anything you've done or ever could do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. That's the gospel. Christ in my place. I'm going to pray and we're going to invite you to stand and sing with us here in just a moment. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today. We thank you for the clarity of the gospel. God, I thank you for the challenge that Paul issues to these Galatian believers and to us as well. Help us to remember that it's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. So I pray that if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray that by your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, they'd be drawn to you today. That you would do a work in their heart and life that only you can do. Lord, for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in you, I pray that every day we are drinking deeply from the well of your grace. That we are finding our identity not in the things that we are doing for you, but in what you have done for us. Help us to remember every day, Lord, that our identity is not something that is achieved. It's something that's received. And only possible through the finished work, the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.